You know, tomorrow is Memorial Day, and um, it's a time of reflection and remembrance. I saw something online this week that I thought was pretty good. It said, um, it talked about the different uh, military holidays that we have. For example, it said that Armed Forces Day is honoring those that are still serving in the military, so we recognize them on that particular day. Veterans Day is recognizing all of those who are no longer serving. Uh, They are veterans. They're out of the service. They're no longer serving. But Memorial Day is to honor those who have died while serving. And that's what we're here for today, to talk about or to honor at least those that have died in the line of duty over the years and uh, their service to our country. Let me ask you, if you have a relative that has died in the service of our country. Just raise your hand. Anybody have a relative? Okay, there's quite a few lives that have been touched by men or women that have passed away. I think at a time like this that it's important to remember those who have given their lives for our country to help us secure our freedom. I think this is a very special day in which we, we do that. Um, not all who died in the line of duty were recognized or considered to be heroes. Now let me explain. They may not have gotten a medal. They may not have been recognized officially. They may not have even done anything really outstanding and praiseworthy as far as a heroic act or something like that. But they all served faithfully and did their jobs and they passed away because of it in line of duty. And as they did their jobs, we are here today to recognize that and to honor that. Now, I want to read you a story. And the story is taken out of a book by Mike Iaconelli um, entitled Messy Spirituality. But the story goes like this. Now, this is a true story. And it's taken from a situation that occurred in World War II. So listen as I read this for you. It says, during the last months of World War II, the British conducted daily bombing raids over Berlin. The bombers would take off from an airstrip in England and fly surrounded by smaller fighter planes whose job it was to keep the German fighters from attacking the bombers, which were easy targets. One night after a successful bombing raid, as they were heading for the safety of England, the bombers were attacked by a large group of German fighter planes. Somehow, during the dogfight, one bomber bomber found itself flying alone with no protection, and suddenly a German fighter appeared out of nowhere. The crew of the bomber watched as the German plane moved closer and closer until finally it was in range. They prepared for the worst and watched helplessly as tracer bullets began spitting from from the fighter plane. Bullets whizzed by them over and under until finally thud, 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 thud. Five bullets slammed into the fuselage of the bomber near the gas tank. The crew braced for the explosion, but nothing happened. They could see fuel pouring out from the uh, bullet holes in the gas tank, but still nothing happened. There was no explosion. Miraculously, they were able to make it back to their home, and got safely off the plane. A few hours later, they were, they, after they had landed, one of the uh, mechanics showed up in the crew's barracks. He had found five bullets inside the 
uh, the fuel tanks of the, of the plane. They were crumpled, but they were not exploded. He handed them to the pilot, and the pilot carefully opened the shells and to the crew's amazement found each one empty of gunpowder. Inside one of the tiny or inside one of the bullets was a tiny wad of paper. When they unfolded the paper to found they found a note which read, We are Polish POWs, forced to make bullets in factory. When guards do not look, we do not fill with powder. It's not much, but it's the best we can do. Please tell family we are alive. And then the note was signed by four Polish prisoners of war. Five tiny bullets out of millions and millions of bullets made during the war made, made all the difference for these, this crew member of this British bomber. Think about this. I mean, out of all of those bullets, these five hit the plane, and they just so happened not to have powder in them. Now, I can imagine those four Polish prisoners of war thinking to themselves, this is foolishness. It's going to put us in danger if they ever find out, and it's really not going to make a difference in the big scheme of things. But yet they did it anyway, faithfully, and signed their names to it. If they had been found out, they would have been killed. But yet they did it. You know, the same is true when it comes to our faith. Because a lot of times it's the little things that we do behind the scenes that nobody ever sees, nobody ever recognizes, nobody ever holds us up as being heroes of any kind. But yet they make all the difference in the world to the people around us. Let me read you the final paragraph of this uh, story. It says, The power of goodness is found in the tiny things. Since the beginning, God has chosen the tiny over the large David over Goliath, Gideon and his 300 soldiers over thousands of Midianites, Elijah over the prophets of Baal, one sheep over the 99 sheep. Spirituality is about doing the tiny work of God, little acts, small responses to God's presence in our lives. And how true that is. And see, we as believers don't always recognize the little things and how important that they really are. You know, we listen to and uh, read about the, the great events of the Old Testament and the New Testament and the, the miracles that were done. I mean, they're going to talk about the parting of the Red Sea in the BBS this week. They're going to talk about a lot of the things, the miracles of God and how he brought the people out of Egypt and so forth. We read stories like that and we get the idea that unless something is grand, and really big, that somehow it doesn't really matter in the big scheme of things. We think to ourselves, nothing is going to become of it. It's not that important. You know, it's a sh- I'm just glad for these men during this war that those Polish POWs didn't feel that way, thinking to themselves, this won't matter, because it certainly did. Spiritual life is not about big victories. Now, please hear this, okay, because this is what we're going to be talking about today. Our spiritual lives are not about the big victories because there will be many of us that will never see big victories. There will be many of us that never do things that are known by anybody or seen by anybody or um, recognized by anybody. But God looks for our faithfulness. Your spiritual life is determined whether it is successful or not, by your faithfulness to do the things that God has called you to do, whether they be tiny or big. 
And I tell you right now that there are more, vastly more, small victories in our lives that nobody may ever see, things that we do as believers that matter in the lives of other people, that God sees. Whether anybody else does or not, God sees it. And God is going to judge us, according to the Scripture, on our faithfulness to do our job and to do it well. And I need for you and, and, and plead with you to get away from this idea that only the things that are on a grand scale and big are the only things that matter to God, because that is not true. Now, does God do that? Yes. Occasionally, God does the grand and the, the big. Occasionally, you're going to see miraculous things happen and hear about them and read about them. But on a everyday living basis, so many things that happen that are important and vital to the church and to your life and to the lives of other people are done on a very small scale. God's people, one by one, being faithful to do the tiny tasks that God has called them to each and every day. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, those tiny tasks done day by day. I want to take you, and I'm going to take you to a passage of Scripture, like I said, in the New Testament. We're going to be in Romans, and I'm, here's this passage, and, and you need to understand that before we go into it. It's not going to be a lot of theology in it. There's not going to be any teaching to the church other than what I apply it to. But the passage itself is a discussion or a recognition, if you will, of people that Paul calls out as being giants in the faith, but who really did nothing that would ever land them in the newspaper or in front of a church or anything like that. Nothing on a grand scale. But yet, when Paul is writing to the Roman church, Paul includes these people at the end. And he praises them, and he recognizes them, and he thanks God for them. Now, folks, please understand, okay, as we go through this, this is applied to you. For all of you that may not feel as though you have enough knowledge or giftings or abilities to do something on a grand scale for God, please get away from that. And please understand that God wants you to be faithful first and foremost. And when you are faithful in the little things, then see what God does with you. But until then, just to be faithful in those things that God calls you to do each and every day. Now let's look, and I'm not going to read through all of the names that are listed in this chapter. I'm just going to pick and choose a few of them. And I want you to see as we talk about who they were and what they did and what Paul says about them. And then we're going to make some applications. The passage is in Romans chapter 16. I want you to look with me for the in the first two verses. Here's what Paul says as he closes out his letter to the Roman church. That's what he's doing here. He says in verse 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Sincrea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been a great help to many people, including me. Now, watch this, okay? Here's a lady that you're not going to find mentioned in the Bible anywhere else. Just right here. Phoebe. He says, I commend her to you. I'm sending her to you. In all probability, Phoebe was one of the ones, at least in a party, we think a group, that brought the letter from Paul to the church of Rome. Wow. To hold in her hands the first draft of the book of Romans, to carry it to the Roman church. 
And Paul says, I'm sending her to you, and I commend her to you. It means I approve of her, and I want you to recognize her, and I want you to thank her because she's coming with this letter, and she's bringing it to you. And it says that she's been a great help to many people, including me. Now, what does that mean? Well, I don't know. It means it could have been anything. I mean, this lady was involved in the church, the, the people there. She helped in many ways, I'm sure. Maybe she helped the sick, the needy, ministered to prisoners, shared the gospel, whatever. But whatever she had done on a small scale, Paul says, this is the one I want to take the letter to Rome. And so she was part of that entourage that brought the letter. Nothing special about her. And the only thing that he says about her is that she has worked hard to help many people, including myself. And he commends her for that. Let's jump down now to the next couple of verses. Verses 3 through 5. Watch what he says here. He said, I want you to greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets in their house. Now what in the world, who are these people? Now they're mentioned a couple of times in Scripture. Priscilla and Aquila. This is the lady Priscilla and her husband Aquila. And they worked very hard and they're mentioned in the New Testament. Now here's what happened in the passage in, in Acts. I'm not going to take you there. I'm just going to tell you about it, okay? When Paul comes to Corinth, he finds them there. They're living there. They had come from Rome where they lived. That was their home, but they had been run out, and they were living in Corinth at the time. Paul sees them, and according to the book of Acts in chapter 18, they become they hit it off right away because they're both tent makers. They're working as, as a, uh, in that profession. And he lives with them about a year and a half. Eighteen months he lives with them. And it says that they took care of him, and they traveled with him, and they helped support him in, in his ministry. And they went all over. They left Corinth with him when he left, and they ministered alongside him. There was a time, in that, and it's told to us in the book of Acts, there was a time when they split up and decided they'll minister in this city, Paul in this city, and it was there that they ran into a gentleman named Apollos. A young preacher, inexperienced, didn't know what he was doing, had, didn't even know that Christ had already been risen, but he was preaching from what he knew that he was coming. And he's, uh, he's speaking, and they saw him, and they hear him, and the Bible says that they took him in, and he lived with them, and they told him all about Jesus. They discipled him, and they helped him. And he grew to be a great preacher, because later on, Paul is talking about some of you think that Apollos is the preacher that you ought to follow. Some think I'm the preacher you ought to follow. He says, look, he said, we're working together in this. Some people plant the seed, some people water it, some people harvest the fruit. Whether it's Apollos or me, he says, it doesn't matter. And so this is what Priscilla and Aquila had done and who they were. They worked right alongside of him and helped him. But you never hear a lot about them. You always hear about Paul because Paul's the miracle worker and the one that did all the things on a, on a grand scale and not them. But yet how profound their ministry was to Paul and to everybody around them. Keep this in mind, folks. And as we go through each one of these, just keep in mind how vitally important they were in the life of not only Paul or other apostles, but just the church in general and all that they did, okay? 
Let's move down now. To, and we're going back into uh, the book of Romans, verse 16. We're going to, I'm sorry, uh, chapter 16. I want you to look at verse 10. He says, to greet this gentleman, Apelles. He says, this is the only thing to said about him. He's been tested and approved in Christ. Now, what does he mean? He means this guy has gone through the ringer. He's been through some hard times. He's been put to the test, and he's been approved as a strong disciple of Christ. He said, now you guys greet him. Now these are all people that are there in their church outside of Phoebe. All these are there. He's saying, I remember that one, and I remember that one, and I remember what they did and who they are and what they're like. He said, I want you to lift them up. I want you to greet them, and I want you to praise them because they were vitally important, not only to me but to others as well. The work that they did was so vitally important. Jump down now, and I'm sorry, just the latter part of that verse in verse 10. He says in the latter part of the verse, Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. All right, now watch, because there's, some, there's a difference here. He said, I'm not greeting Aristobulus. He said, I want you to greet and take care of and acknowledge those that are in his household. Now, who is this guy and what's going on? Well, this guy's not a believer. This is the reason Paul doesn't say to greet him or to acknowledge him. As a matter of fact, you go back into the historical record, and here's what it is believed to be true about him. That this guy, Aristobulus, was actually the grandson of King Herod the Great. And he was best friends with Claudius, one of the would-be emperors of Rome. And what does that mean? Well, it means that he was very wealthy. He was very political. He was very connected. And within his household, now the household included servants, children, grandchildren, whoever, but it was all under his household. Here's what Paul said. He said, you greet his household for me. You acknowledge them and you welcome them because of what? Well, they're all believers. Living under the roof of the grandson of King Herod horrible thing. And what it tells you is this, that the church had already permeated into the royal families. There were people that were believers in the households of these people that were leadership. They did not even know it. But yet these people were faithful to take the message even in there at risk, risking their own lives. Now just think about this. Here's the household of Aristobulus and they are servants and maybe some of his children, I don't know, who know the Lord and are trying to reach even those people and putting their lives at risk in order to see it done. And Paul says, hey, listen, you may not know this. You may not be aware of it, but those people are faithful. They're faithful, and I want you to acknowledge that, and I want you to recognize them. Now, in the... Next one I want you to see is in verse 11, the next verse. Now watch this. He says, Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Now the same thing. Don't greet him, but greet and take care of and acknowledge those in his household. Well, who is this guy? Well, again, he's not a believer. It's believed from what the historical record can dictate that he was the appointment secretary to Claudius. Now, Claudius would eventually become emperor. And the, he was related to Nero. 
So again, what you've got is this. He says, look, even in this guy's household, there are believers there. How did they get there? Well, somebody led them to Christ. You may not even know who. And now they're in the household of royalty now. And they themselves are ministering there and doing what they can to share their testimony and to be a light in the place of darkness. You didn't even know it, maybe. But I'm telling you, he says, they're there. And you as a church, need, you need to recognize them and you need to honor them because of what they're doing under the radar. Nobody knows. Nobody's aware. But I know, he says. The last one is this in verse 12. He says, Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard for the Lord, are in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. This whole idea of working hard in the Lord, if you translate it, it means basically they're, they're serving to the point of exhaustion. That's what it's saying. These women are serving to the point of exhaustion. Now let me just say something here, okay? There are so many people within a church that serve behind the scenes so to such a degree that they're exhausted. Women primarily, I'll be honest with you, the women work behind the scenes to do things that maybe nobody else knows about. Nobody recognizes, nobody cheers them on, nobody brings them up front with accolades. They're just faithfully serving behind the scenes, doing what God has called them to do. They're all there. You're, they're, they're you, you know, women and men. And sometimes when we do that, we get discouraged because we feel like it doesn't matter. We feel like nobody knows about it, nobody cares. We're unappreciated, taken advantage of, all of the things that run through our mind. And eventually we get so fed up, we're saying, I just quit. I don't want to do it. And I want you to understand that maybe you're not being honored the way that somebody would be if they had done something on a grand scale. But God knows. God knows. And that's really all that matters. And all Paul is doing here, he's, he's looking at people that have been forgotten or maybe not recognized, unappreciated. And he's lifting them up and he's saying, you guys need to honor them because they are the servants of God. Now this is something coming from Paul, who's out raising the dead and healing the sick and proclaiming and building churches and all of this, who has done everything that can be done on a grand scale. And Paul says you need to honor the people that are taking care of the tiny things that you wouldn't think of. Let's take it now and boil this down and bring it down home here, okay? Let's bring it into dogwood and out of the first century and into this century. You know, let's talk about things that you do as a believer and how important they are, even when you think that it doesn't matter. You know, little things like taking care of the church, work days, flower beds, the nursery, teaching children Sunday school, working all week long in VBS. This is a lot of work, folks. And sometimes we think to ourselves, well, I'll do it because they can't find anybody else, but it really doesn't matter because nobody's going to recognize it anyway. And guys, it doesn't matter if nobody recognizes it. 
You do it anyway because of your faithful service to God, knowing full well that one day God will honor you when nobody else does. Whether you're working behind the scenes with uh, the addicts on a Friday night or whether you're praying with somebody that is hurting and sick, whether you're reaching out to somebody that's visiting the church for, a first time, for the first time, and you say, come and sit with me because I know how scary it can be going into a church for the first time. Or maybe you just say to somebody that's been here for a time or two and you think, well, I'm going to invite them to lunch. Well, that's a, that's a big one because you're going to have to pay for it. You're going to have to take them. Do it anyway. And nobody's going to recognize it but you and God in the person that you minister to. But it matters. Maybe you fix a meal and take it to somebody that's hurting or write them a card and encourage them. Maybe you go by and visit and just sit there with them and pray with them. Maybe you invite them to church. Somebody that's struggling financially and needs to go to work and you can watch their child for them. Or maybe clean their home when they're sick or give them money when they're in need. You think to yourself, well, nobody knows about these things. I'm not getting recognized for it. Do it anyway. Because God knows. This is what Paul's trying to get us to see as a church. These people are important in the tiny things, each and every day, just being faithful to do the things that God said do. Without copying an attitude because nobody appreciates you and you're overworked and all of this, to say to yourself, this is as unto the Lord. And God knows and God will reward And so we serve and we do it. We all are involved in it. We all do things that are behind the scenes and nobody sees. And someday it will all come out into the open because God says someday everything will be brought to light. But you need to understand that even before that day comes, in this day right now where you live and what you're doing, it matters because the little things add up. And you may not feel the bullets with powder because you think, well, it's a little thing that I can do and it probably won't matter. But it does. It matters. And these little acts of grace and mercy and things that we accomplish before the Lord are important because the Holy Spirit takes each and every one of them and He brings about fruit in the life of somebody, somewhere. And you and I have got to understand that. You don't always understand what God does with those little acts. You don't understand what's going to be down the road someday that you never imagined because God's going to take it and use it in a way that you never dreamed. Please stop comparing yourself to other people. Stop comparing yourself to somebody that's always in the limelight or up front or uh, you know, well-known. Just, just say, as unto the Lord, this is what God has called me to do. And before the Lord, that's what I will do. Here's what I want you to do. We're getting ready to go into the communion part of this service. And let me ask the guys, come on down, okay? The guys that are going to be serving it, I want you to make your way down here quickly. And let me just say while they're coming down, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sit quietly. And as you partake of the 
body and the blood of Christ, a representation, that you remember this, that he gave it all for you. And the only thing that he asks in return is that you be faithful. Just be faithful. Now, this is a time for your personal reflection here, okay? I want you to think back over your life and that the things that you have not done or have quit doing or got mad about, the things that God called you to do that you just said somebody else will do that, I want you to, first of all, repent. I want you to just, before the Lord, say, Lord, I screwed up. I I really did. I messed up here. And I want to be faithful. And I commit to be faithful. And whatever you call me to do, as small as it may be and as insignificant as it may seem, I pledge to you that I'm going to do it. I'm going to be faithful. And that's all I'm asking of you, is is that you do business here with the Lord today. Because I know... This, that if you commit to be faithful to what God leads you to do, God will lead if you'll just promise to obey. And really, that's what I want from you. That's what I'm asking of you, is that you promise before the Lord that I will obey. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, let me just say that Jesus died for your sins, and you are a sinner. But Jesus Christ died on the cross that whosoever believes might have eternal life. And that's you if you'll trust in him, if you'll put your faith in him. Will you do that here while we sit quietly before the Lord? What better time for you to come to Christ than now? So I'm going to ask the guys to to serve. They're going to serve the bread, which is a representation of the body of Christ that was broken for us and suffered for us. He suffered your pain and ultimately your death. And as we do this today, like he said in the scripture, as often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. So we're going to be taking together. Just hold on till we all partake together. And while you're sitting here, just quietly reflect. The Bible tells us that that night in the upper room, he took the bread and he passed it to the disciples. And he said, now take and eat this. This is my body, which is broken for you. And as often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. As we partake of this today, the whole point is that we remember, that we stop and reflect and remember who he is and what he's given for us. As we partake together, let's remember the suffering that was ours that he took upon himself. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your body as a substitute that, Father, you took our pain and suffering and even our death. You took it upon yourself that we might have eternal life. Father, thank you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
The Bible tells us that same night he took the cup and he passed it to the disciples and he said, I want you to take and drink this because this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you. Without the shedding of blood, the Bible tells us there's no forgiveness. The blood covers the sin. The sacrifice had to sacrifice the blood in order for the sin to be taken care of. Jesus was the last of the ultimate sacrifice who shed his blood for you and me. I pray that we never get tired of proclaiming that. That we never go tired of serving him, even in the small ways that we do. Let's partake together. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your son you sent to earth for our benefit. Father, we thank you for your grace, your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.